0: You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Back to folk. Red Sox fans have long to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high knee, driving a right field. That one stalled to the right. Hunter on the move, racing back to. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are World Champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes
1: a one-two pitch. The Red Sox the World
0: Champions. And featuring Keaton Derosier.
1: Strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles.
0: They're all loaded. High fly ball. Deep into left center field. Get out Way there. back it carries. And that ball is gone. The Red Sox walk it off. In style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out. The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game.
1: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. We are coming to you in back-to-back weeks because uh, after our winter meetings preview, enough things happened that we decided we should have a podcast. So Keaton, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Ready to rock. Just pounded a kickstart.
0: Nice. Took a nap. I'm ready to go.
1: All right. Well, let's get right into it then because you're caffeinated and that's a good thing. Um, Red Sox did get into some stuff during winter meetings. Um, Nothing quite as exciting as the rest of baseball got into. Overall, before we get into that, um, I guess we'll give you an outline of what we're going to be doing on the show today. And we're going to be talking about all the Red Sox moves that they made during that time. We're going to be talking about uh, trade speculation that's going on with the Red Sox. Um, And then you guys had a ton of listener questions again, which is great. Um, So we will answer those. But overall, I mean, what was your impression of the winter meetings? I thought it was really, really fun and uh, one of the better winter meetings that we've had in years.
0: Yeah, it had been a while since we had a nice nice bustling winter meetings. So that was good to see. Also really good to see that the top free agents didn't last out there on the market until February. So That was really fun to see as well. Teams actually spending money. What a concept. But, uh, yeah, it was a little disappointing not to see the Red Sox a little bit more active. Not that I would have expected them to be in on, like, Cole or Rendon. But, I mean, anything. Anything more than what they did. I was, you know, hopeful that they would get something done. But, uh, I mean, I, I warned out there on the last podcast that there was a good chance we'd get through the winter meetings. And the Red Sox would have done nothing and uh i kind of consider that the case because i don't think what they did really matters <laughs> all
1: right well, well we'll consider that a little bit of a preview here but um yeah i mean the the winter meetings overall was was pretty pretty cool because like you said the big names signed there and that's not something we've seen lately we've seen this type of stuff linger into february and it's been really unexciting and super crappy and it's killed interest in baseball honestly And Fangraphs every year does a crowdsource for the contracts. And out of the top uh, crowdsourced um, contract amounts, um, the top 22 there, um, only six of the top 22 have not signed yet at this point in the winter, which is absolutely remarkable compared to where we were last year.
0: Yeah, seriously. I mean, we had the top two free agents out there until... February I mean, the year before, um, I don't remember where exactly J.D. Martinez fit in the ranks of um, like the top free agents because I don't remember who else was a free agent that year now. But again, he was one that was out there until February, and it was really annoying, and everybody was really, really frustrated with it. But I'm glad to see that these guys signed and they'll actually be with their teams through spring training.
1: Yeah, and I, I got to think that teams also are doing this purposefully because – a lot of the guys who signed really late struggled out of the gate, too, because your routine's probably not nearly the same. You don't get to go to the team facilities. You don't get to, like, interact with the guys and just generally feel comfortable. I, I think it's probably pretty bad business to wait that late to sign.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can even go a step further than, because uh, I just, I didn't I didn't click until you just mentioned that, but uh, Keuchel and Kimbrel were out there until July. Last year, Ugh, yeah. and Kimbrel did not adjust well to a short season No, So, um, I mean, not that these guys are relief pitchers, and his role, obviously, as a closer, is a bit unique to just kind of jump into a season uh, cold halfway through. That's a big adjustment for a reliever. But I completely agree with you that the slow starts is something that can be easily avoided by, I don't know, signing guys. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept. So I'm glad we saw that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome, and and all the major leaguers tend to, I think, prefer to get this crap done before the holidays, too, so they know where they're going to be. I mean, every every human being craves stability so, uh, in in some way, shape, or form, unless you're just out of your mind. But, you know, um, let's get right to it, though, because these winter meetings did have a couple things related to the Red Sox. Um, We're going to start off with maybe the, the smallest move that they made here. They did select a player in the Rule 5 draft. Um, They selected a guy by the name of Jonathan Arauz um, from the Houston Astros. Um, He's 21 years old. He was signed out of Panama. He's a switch hitter. Um, Scouting reports have him as a solid defender at shortstop, but um, I think it was Eric uh, Longenhagen from um, Fangraphs said that he's weak physically. So, I mean, he thinks he might get the bat knocked out of his hand at the next level. He just doesn't seem like physically projectable right now. Um, and on the weird kind of downside here for him, he was suspended 50 games for meth, uh, of all things, <laughs> which is just not the drug you, you tend to think about when you're certainly not a performance enhancer. Um, so my thing to you, Keaton, is what do you think about this deal, and do you think that he ultimately ends up sticking on the 40-man roster and, you know, long enough to not get returned? Um, I mean, he
0: might. I mean, given the state of the roster currently. I know that they have, they still have a, an open spot on the 40 men right now. But um, I still feel like there's a bunch of useless relievers that could also get moved. But I guess it depends. It still seems like they don't really know what they're doing at second. I mean, I, I mean it, or maybe they do. Maybe as we'll get into Peraza maybe is the answer. But it seems like they're just throwing a bunch of darts at dudes that might be able to play second. And they're hoping that one of them sticks, and this just seems like one of those dark throws. So, I feel like he'll probably be given a chance. Probably won't have that long a leash. Probably won't make an impact. Um, and then, yeah, he probably will end up getting returned.
1: Yeah, I, I have such a hard time envisioning that this guy's going to make it out of spring training. I just don't... I don't see it with him. Um, you know, the, I mean, obviously I haven't really watched the guy play or anything, but all the scouting reports I read are, are pretty underwhelming with him, and you know, the other thing that stands out to me is that this guy is basically in the same middle infield mold as Sue Lin and C.J. Chatham and, you know, some of the other guys that they have, Marco Hernandez. It just seems like they have a whole mess of these guys, and I don't know that any of them are very good, but I'm pretty sure I'd put him at the bottom of the list in terms of, you know, these guys and the talent level.
0: Yeah, I think I would, too. I mean, I'm just kind of scouting a stat line right now, and nothing really jumps off. He had a couple of years where, or a couple of stops along the way where he walked more than he struck out, Um, but his most recent stops, that hasn't been the case. That was early on in his career, so that was probably where some of his potential came from, but he really hasn't done anything. Fangrafts has him as a 30-game power, so (laughs) I'm not sure someone who's just slap-happy is going to work.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I'm I'm not big on this move. It's it's kind of weird, um, but it is notable that you know the Red Sox didn't have anybody uh, taken in the Rule of Five either. Uh, Eduard Bazardo was kind of the guy that we were looking to that potentially could have been taken. Who wasn't? So, I mean, that's overall a good thing for the Red Sox. And you know, we we made a bet too that Acquami would would uh, would I, I thought he wouldn't be taken. You thought he would be taken, and so. He did. remains with the team too, so that's more depth for the Red Sox, I guess. Which is I owe you a pack of baseball cards. That's the best kind of bet, I think. We've uh, we've finally nailed uh, our our betting system, so I feel like we're going to be exchanging a lot of packs of cards this year, Keaton. I think we are too.
0: Yeah, I mean, with Akemi, I thought a team like uh, Kansas City, Baltimore, teams that aren't going anywhere uh, because he's. Major League ready Probably would just like Take a shot in the dark Just to see what he can do Um, He's clearly a patoon But If the team Isn't going anywhere And they're just looking For a shot in the dark it seemed like Something I thought Someone might Take a stab at
1: But No dice Still here Well at least He's not a patroon. Yeah Also known as A (laughs) Dutch owner Of a large estate That's your uh, your Learn something new Every day your 1600s vocab word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on here. Um, so in a larger move, and you just mentioned it um, off the cuff there, they plugged their hole at second base um, by signing Jose Peraza for $3 million. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about Peraza here. Peraza had a god-awful year yesterday, uh, last year with a 62 WRC+, plus, which was really, really bad. Um, the good news is he's still 25. He isn't free agent eligible until 2022. Um, and he did have a 96 WRC plus in 2018 with 14 home runs, 24 stolen bases. In um, last year and in the past, he's played shortstop, second base, outfield. He doesn't strike out much, and he hits lefties well. Even last year when he was having a terrible season, he had a 92 WRC plus. Against lefties, um, the bad news here for me is that, you know, he's he's going to be going up against a lot more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. So to me, he seems like more of a bench guy. Um, I don't see a huge upside play here. I I really would like him if he was playing the Brock Holt role, but if he's their answer as a starter at second base, I gotta say I'm pretty friggin' disappointed.
0: Yeah, I hope that he does play the Brock Holt role, and I think this means that Brock Holt isn't coming back. Um, Because I think we both thought that Holt was going to get more money than this. I think you thought someone was going to give him a chance to start. Yeah. Uh, I think I said, like, uh, 2-8, and and you thought 4 mil wasn't enough. And so, I mean, if they got Peraza at 3, then they're not going to want to spend whatever it would take for Holt with their stupid financial crunch So I think, I'm hoping that that is the case, and they have their bench utility guy, and they're still looking at uh, more established options at second base slash first base. Um, But
1: I guess only time will tell. Yeah, and it's hard to say because we have no concept of what Bloom actually thinks about Suwe Lin and CJ Chatham and some of these other guys that could also fill in and play that sort of Brock Holt role, but when you think about what Jose Peraza has done in the past. He really seems like a, a very natural fit there. And someone asked me online after this signing, um, because he is good against lefties, is there anybody out there that could, you know, be a good platoon partner at second base with him? And I keep going back to Scooter Jeanette, who crushes righties. I mean, he's, he's decent against lefties, but he absolutely destroys righties. Um, and Fangraphs crowdsourced him for a one-year $5 million contract. So If he was to get that with the Red Sox and be able to be the majority of the time starter at second base, I mean, you're paying $8 million for essentially a really good second baseman between these two guys, and then you fill your bench roll with Barraza and or Scooter Jeanette the rest of the time. So I think that'd be a really nice way to spend your resources. Yeah, me too. I I think that would be great.
0: Yeah. And that fits their their money crunch and makes us happy because they finally have scooter. So I'm bored.
1: Yeah. <coughs> We've been on that scooter train for a bit. It's gonna be really disappointing when they don't <laughs> sign him. You know, yeah. I, I'm having trouble figuring out the lack of interest in Scooter Jeanette. I know that the thing that he had in his leg the last year when he like basically popped his groin out, I mean he had a really bad groin injury in spring training I wonder if there's still serious health concerns about him because he's gotten zero buzz this offseason. And even when people mention second baseman on the market, he's just not mentioned at all.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like that has to be it, um, which would be a bummer. But that's I feel like that's the only thing that can explain it is just his medicals still seem a bit wacky. But, I mean, he was able to get back on the field by the yeah. end of the season, so I would imagine that he would be healthy for this upcoming season.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it makes you wonder. And I think if he continues to stay on the market into January, February, and, and, and that stuff, I think it'll tell us more about the medicals and where teams are with him. But, man, you got to think somebody's going to take a shot on a guy like that who's had that type of success. Yeah.
0: It'd be great if the Red Sox did.
1: Yeah. And I think you brought up a great point, though, about Brock Holt. I mean, this... This is the nail in the coffin for Holt, right? I mean there's no way he comes back with yeah. Peraza on the team, right? I think it is. Yeah. I, I just have a lot of trouble seeing how that would work. So
0: Unless they end up like putting him into into a squeeze and be like if you really want to stay, then you're gonna have to take like two mil. Which is right. a, a could huge be dick the... move, but I guess I would as a business I wouldn't be shocked if they did do that.
1: Do you have any idea how Holt hits lefties? Pretty darn I mean, well. Uh, Righties, I should say. Yeah, pretty darn well. He does. Like over 300. Against righties? Yeah. So he would actually be an effective platoon with Peraza then, presumably. Yeah, probably would. Huh. Huh. That's an option. I guess if, if he does come back, that's your option right there. Um, they also signed a starting pitcher, and this move was more interesting to me than the other two by far. Um, Martin Perez, um, who was with the twins last year, Martin Perez, uh, he signed for $6 million with a club option for 2021 of $6.25 million. He's 28. He's coming off a year where he did throw quite a few innings, 165.1, albeit with a 5.12 ERA, not so good. Um, but the good news for him is that he discovered a cutter last year that was an elite pitch for him. And, um, there's a lot that's been written about his ability to limit hard contact as well. Um, this cutter, though, that he started throwing last year, opponents batted just two eighteen off of it. He threw it 31% of the time. Um, but the big takeaway for me is that with Martin Perez... Um, he still throws that four-seamer, or he did last year, 16% of the time. Um, He throws his change 22% of the time. But the opponents batted three seventy-five off the four-seamer, and they slugged the shit out of the ball um, on that four-seamer and his curveball, which he doesn't throw much, but he probably shouldn't throw at all. So my thinking here is that Bloom and or uh, guys who are already there for the Red Sox uh, think that he's found something with his cutter and – You know, they've done this with guys before where they've convinced them to get rid of offerings that don't work. I mean, it's not hard to envision a pitcher in Martin Perez being pretty good if he can stop throwing that four-seamer and focus on pitches that, you know, have actually been effective for him. I hope it works out
0: because he's been pretty bad for, I mean, a decent enough sample size that I was initially really annoyed with this. And then... As soon as the sign happened, everybody was like, all right, they got their fifth starter. And I was like, great. So we have our fifth starter who's got an ERA over six the past two seasons. What the hell is that going to do? But then you're right. Then I saw people started digging into it more, and they are like, oh, actually, he actually has some pretty effective pitches, but people just haven't been using him correctly. Which also makes me wonder, is he going to last as a starter? Uh, And does he have enough effective of enough pitch mix to remain as a starter? Um, That I still think... Uh, might be a question if they scale back his arsenal does he become too predictive as a starter Um, so I'll be interested to see how it works out but I guess literally anything is better than what the pitching staff was last year so I'm on board with taking a shot and trying to you basically like you said retool him to his strengths and see if it works Um, because it can't be worse than the pitching staff we just watched over the course of the season so yeah, I feel like anything it, is an upgrade at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I was pretty bummed out at first because I didn't really know about Martin Perez's cutter discovery, but to go from never throwing this pitch before to throwing it 31% of the time and it being your most successful offering is like a pretty substantial change. And the other cool thing about Martin Perez last year was that his, his four-seam velocity uh, averaged a little over 94 miles an hour, and it had never been really close to that before he was like 92 93 91 in other years I mean he hadn't been anywhere approaching this so it might be with him too that not only should he throw his cutter more and probably not throw that crappy curveball that he has either um, but maybe it's fastball location too we don't really know and I didn't dig into it enough to know where he's throwing his fastball if he's throwing his four seamer always down or you know middle middle it's not going to be an effective offering even if the velo is up on it so you know maybe this is a pitch that they work with him to throw sparingly but up in the zone to try and get hitters to chase it Um, I don't know what his approach is um, because I haven't really watched him too much but it seems like there's a lot of raw pieces here that at least you could envision an analytically leaning pitching uh, staff really working with him to to get something out of him yeah and I mean something that Tampa has been good at
0: is getting the most out of their pitchers, which obviously Bloom is a big part of. So, I think I'm definitely on board with uh, reserving a more critical judgment until we see some potential results. Because I think we got to give Bloom the benefit of the doubt at this point, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And and you know, going going back to the other thing about this guy that I think is interesting is losing a big innings guy in rick porcello you're replacing him with martin perez who has thrown a lot of innings recently through nearly 200 in 2016 185 in 2017 uh, only 85 in 2018 but 165 last year so you know it wouldn't really shock me to see him throw close to 185 to 200 innings next year he seems durable yeah
0: i would agree i have a quick uh correction on the Brock Holt thing, so I was looking at last season's split, so last season he hit 318 versus righties mm-hmm. uh, for his career he's 272 but 22 of his 23 career home runs have come against righties, so hmm. it's pretty much all of his power is against
1: righties okay, I wonder what is, what's his WRC plus against righties versus lefties for his career? It is it's definitely a number
0: it is 94 okay 91 against lefties oh not so that he's much of a separation
1: fairly even versus both handedness so yeah yeah maybe maybe not exactly the righty killer we're looking for
0: no. but someone who I would be imagine that for. most of those home runs against righties
1: are Fenway specials yeah so that's probably why it's so lopsided <laughs> that makes a lot of sense um, so we did mention it kind of offhand. though. Rick Porcello signed a one-year, ten million dollars deal with the Mets. He is betting on himself. Um, I'm actually really pumped and bullish about this for Rick Porcello. Um, I think that you know being in the National League is probably going to be a good thing with him, and he's definitely got a, a good staff to work with over there. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Ricky going to the Mets, going to the National League?
0: Um, I think this is going to be something new for them having a pitcher be able to throw 200 innings. I don't think they've had that in, I don't know, maybe five years plus, five plus. Um, Like, Matt Harvey's that one year, he was really good. I think that's probably the last time I've had someone come close. So, um, I think that's going to be weird for them to have a pitcher that stays healthy for a full season.
1: What does uh, DeGrom do for innings? He's probably up there, right? Actually, right, he probably is.
0: I know he's had some injuries on and off, but because he's
1: been over 200
0: the last three seasons man all right well you know what (laughs) fine scrap this segment (laughs) he was hurt before those three and usually the rest of their rotation is too but uh i know that brody thinks this is the deepest starting rotation in the league which i certainly don't agree with but i think one of the biggest things with the mets is having healthy pitching and so they have Degrom. they've got stroman They've got Porcello that probably will have a healthy rotation this year. And last time they had a healthy rotation, they went to World Series. Don't expect I mean, them to go to the World Series this year, but I think it is an interesting match for him and a good
1: match for him. It's not hard to imagine the Mets being really good next year. No. To me.
0: No. It's like not.
1: with with that rotation.
0: Like well you, you thought said, they were I mean, gonna make
1: the playoffs last year. I did. I mean, I'm high on the amount of talent that they have. I, I yeah. think you could see an Edwin bounce back. I mean, DeGrom and Syndergaard are good. Syndergaard could have a much better year. Um, Strowman was great last year. Rick Porcello and Mats could have good years. I mean, there is a lot of talent there. Robbie Cano won't completely suck next year. Um, Brett and Nemo, Nemo missed Nemo a lot of time healthy. after being exactly. healthy for a season
0: in 2018. So that's a big And what too. a good table they... setter he is at the top, too, Yeah, with his OBP and they have Conforto. what's going on with Cespedes is he ever going to play again because he's still so in contract.
1: that's a really weird thing he did take that super weird uh, contract renegotiation which literally never happens so probably something very fishy happened with him um, yeah. regarding his health that maybe they could have potentially voided his contract for well,
0: that would be kind of a bummer because baseball is more fun when he's kicking around
1: yeah, he certainly got a good arm. Yeah, he does. Um, oddly though, Michael Waka, who the Mets signed, and this is not a Mets podcast, so we'll get off of this real soon. But <laughs> like, what the hell are they going to do with him now? Is they have their five starters, he's essentially going to be in the bullpen. That, he's an intriguing bullpen guy now.
0: Yeah, um, and it's also probably with under the assumption that someone's going to get hurt, and so they have another like actual starter yeah. that they can they can go there but I know that Waka has struggled a bit the past few seasons so maybe he is more suited for like a super utility role in relief and be that guy that can come in and get one out or um, actually maybe not because they're doing that stupid three out thing now right, right. or three outs are end of an inning so I guess he could still get one yeah, out three if batters. it's the last one of in the inning
1: three batters, yeah,
0: yeah. But, or he could be a guy that goes like the seventh and the eighth to bridge to Diaz or a guy that comes in in the sixth and can give you you know, the last four. So that I, I imagine they're going to use him in a bunch of different ways, and I'm sure he will also start.
1: The NL East is going to be bananas next year. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, so let's get back to the AL East and the Boston Red Sox. Uh, the Red Sox have been actively engaged with teams, most actively engaged with teams, about David Price. Um, And it is said that they are willing to eat about $11 million per year on his contract to get this contract down to about $20 million per season. So my question to you, Keaton, is who do you see as a natural fit for David Price um, now that a lot of the bigger names have exited the marketplace as they've signed with teams? Guys like Garrett Cole, Strasburg, Wheeler, Bumgarner today... Um, Jake Odorizzi staying with his team, even guys like Rick Porcello, Cole Hamels, Michael Pineda, Kyle Gibson, Tanner Roark. I mean, names are dropping pretty quick. So, I mean, he's he's a pretty good option.
0: Yeah, I think uh, two that we've talked about before, though, as very good fits are still out there looking for pitching, and that's St. Louis and San Diego. Mm. Uh, I don't remember if it was you that had asked it or if it was someone we got a listener question about it a few weeks ago. I know we got a listener question about it today. Mm -hmm. Um, With the price for Will Myers' swap, I think if the Red Sox have to eat 11 mil to make that deal, I don't think they do it because they end up still essentially with the dead money that they'd be paying on price and Will Myers' salary would still end up paying the same amount but just swap out a pitcher for a first baseman. And so I don't think that actually works then. I think for a swap for Will Myers, it would have to be including all of Price's salary. And uh, if San Diego knows that the Red Sox will eat salary to get it done, maybe they push back on a straight-up swap. Or I guess, I mean, we know that (laughs) there's a lot of folks in San Diego that just hate Will Myers, so maybe they are willing to just part with him for uh, an upgrade at pitcher. But I think he would fit that rotation really well and make San Diego super interesting Uh, And then he's been linked to St. Louis for years, um, and their pitching staff definitely has a hole that could be filled with price. I'm not exactly sure what a deal to St. Louis would look like, but I think those still remain the two most likely options for a price trade.
1: See, I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying because I was kind of trying to follow along, but if they were to swap price for Myers I don't think any money would be exchanged because Myers is making 13.8 so it would essentially be them getting rid of a contract they don't want in Myers and getting a piece that they actually can use and the Red Sox would be able to use Myers at first base
0: he's getting paid 13 but his cap hit against the CBT is like 18.5 though
1: isn't it I don't know let me look at that for a second um, yeah, I wasn't sure that it was that big. Why is his cap hit so large?
0: Um, is probably it because his, of the signing. It was probably front so? loaded. Huh? Because isn't the cap just the average across all years? So real yeah. money might be thirteen, but the cap hit is the average, so it was probably uh, just front loaded.
1: Nope his his CBT is uh, thirteen. Yep. Huh. Yep. It says AAV. Uh, on Cotts contracts, thirteen point eight. He is due in twenty uh, twenty. Oh, sorry, no, it's it's the other way around. It's yeah, way around. it's backloaded. Real real exactly. money
0: is twenty. CBT is thirteen, but that's still true. It's the, it's the average across the board, but it was backloaded, so he's getting more real money.
1: Exactly, and I think that the the competitive balance tax money would matter more to the Red Sox, right? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, so that would still clear a ton of money for the Red Sox and fill a position. It would, so it's, but it's not so do you think San Diego, Diego
0: would... looking at that, would take on um, basically almost $20 million on the luxury tax?
1: Oh, totally. I think that they, I mean, it would be less than 20 it would be like, it would be, I don't know, like $17 million bucks for price and think about price for three years at 17 million dollars in this market that's a huge deal right his now, his luxury tax is
0: 31 so that's 18 or 17 and a half.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so 17 and a half. yeah <clears throat> i mean that's that would be a deal for him i think i i actually think that if they did that move um that there would be a prospect or two not a huge one but going back for the red sox Because okay. one player is yeah, valuable, one is not.
0: Yeah, you're right. But and I think Will Myers would be a really great fit for the Red Sox too, and that would put Chavis's well at least if I'm the Red Sox that would move Chavis every day second base and then be able to use Peraza in that utility role, and that actually fits a lot of the things that they're looking to do in a cheap manner and would actually help you know keep the team competitive. So certainly sort of would be opposed to it. Yeah, I guess it depends on what they would do then do to fill the massive hole in their starting rotation with Price gone? Mm. Yeah.
1: Because that is a huge hit to the rotation. It would be a huge hit. I think they'd have to figure it out with one of the lower-cost options on the market. But, I mean, in a guy like Will Myers, you're not getting an exciting player. You're getting a guy who badly needs a change of scenery. He's 29 years old. Um, He's had really bad seasons the last two years. Um, He hasn't had a good season since 2017. Um, And even then, he was only slightly above average. So he's going to need some some reworking if he does come over to the Red Sox. That's a big project, and he is under contract for two more years. But
0: something that's also interesting is he's still maintained double-digit steals the past two years and basically had as many steals as homers. That is interesting. Yeah, so he's still still running. Nice little Hmm. mobile option there.
1: Interesting, And we did get a question about that from BQAD96. Um, so that's one of the possible fits for David Price. Um, I think the Cardinals is super fascinating. And one of the reasons why it's so fascinating is because the Cardinals could potentially be a team that would be interested in not only David Price, but also Mookie Betts if the Red Sox were to explore doing both of those guys together. Because the, the Cardinals did just lose or presumably are going to lose Marcel Ozuna. Um, They have a payroll right now of 160 uh, million, um, but presumably if you're trading Mookie Betts and Price, uh, you're not eating any money um, because they're having to eat that money uh, for the privilege of getting Mookie Betts, right? Yeah,
0: I think that would be an interesting combination for them. and. I'm not. I guess I'm not entirely sure how likely. I have. I know nothing about what St. Louis's current financial situation is.
1: So they've got a payroll of 160 million. Um, wow. That would push them up to about uh, 220, which would be below the second luxury tax threshold, but above the first line. Um, but you'd have to think they'd probably be okay doing that for. A year because uh, it would probably make them at least co favorites for the National League or close, right?
0: A move yeah, like I would that? think
1: so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a lot of talent. Yeah, especially in a year where the Cubs are taking a step back, for sure. I mean, no one knows what the hell the Cubs are doing, but everybody knows <laughs> it's. And the not Cubs are like good. on
0: the brink of blowing it up completely, which is just wildly confusing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super weird. And, you know, you look at the rest of that division, the Brewers definitely took a step back in talent. Um, the Reds are trying to compete but aren't quite there yet, and the Pirates are a dumpster fire. So it seems like a really good time for the Cardinals to push the chips. Yeah, I would agree. An interesting piece that the, the Red Sox could ask for back in a trade like that, though, is Jose Martinez, who's clearly an uh, American League player. I mean, he's a he's a DH left field type. is. So where would you put him? I'd probably have him in left half the time and J.D. in left half the time. Those guys swapping and I'd probably play him at first a good bit too. I guess that wouldn't be half. (laughs) I'd probably play him (laughs) at, at first more than I'd play him in left. I think he could be a great first baseman. He'd probably just, well not a great one but I think he'd be a passable first baseman with a pretty good bat. Yeah, and he's a too. guy who, uh, after this year, has two more RB years. So, that's an interesting guy. He has had. Um, he's an OBP
0: machine, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's really good. Yeah, three seventy nine, three sixty four, three forty. It's pretty good.
1: Pretty good, yeah. good deal. Pretty good deal. Um, Are there any out-of-the-box places where you think David Price could find himself? Yes, but I I, I
0: think that the White Sox are a good fit. And they were were in on Wheeler. Um, They were at least rumored to be interested in Cole, but that I'm sure faded very rapidly uh, when they knew what they would have to pay to get him. Um, he would be a really good fit for that rotation too and particularly because their young bats are pretty much there at the major league level and ready to make a run at something but the pitching rotation is lagging significantly behind but being able to put him as an anchor of a young team like that um, would be pretty good for the team yeah, in yeah that's general. a
1: really interesting move I like the sound of that because they've struck out so many times trying to add pitching to this team, and clearly yeah. they're making moves with trading for, you know, Nomar Mazara and making big offers to guys like Wheeler, um, and that rotation behind Giolito is very suspect. You've got guys yep. like Lopez and Cease who aren't quite pitchers yet, and Covey and Fulmer. I mean, yeah, they, they have a shitload of work that needs to be done Copac there.
0: Kopech coming off to each
1: yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, I wonder about that. And so it's if such they,
0: a rich system. I think their biggest thing coming into the offseason was finding a pitcher, and mm-hmm. they've struck out on every single one they've tried to get. So that might be a, we know we need a pitcher. All of the options we, you know, options A through M are now gone, um, but we know that the Red Sox are looking for price, make a deal.
1: Aside from the White Sox, I think the most obvious team in the American League is the Angels, and maybe the only other obvious team in the American League is the Angels. Um, yeah. What do you think about a potential fit there because the Angels struck out on Cole, and, you know, that rotation still has a lot of work left to do?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, th- I think that he would be a really good fit, um, but they have... I think I mean that's another one that there's a lot of interesting names there, but they just never stay healthy. Like Heaney's struggled to do it. Obviously, Otani, Uh, Bundy's had health and performance issues. Uh, Bundy actually seems like a guy to me that I mean he's always had the strikeout ability. So a change of scenery, he seems like the the perfect change of scenery guy. Maybe he won't put it all together to his like number two overall prospect potential, but like be a serviceable uh, number three borderline SP2 in that rotation. So that could go. Uh, Canning just debuted last year, um, did alright, and then they don't really have a... they just have a whole bunch of nonsense as their fifth starter. So uh, dropping Price into that and dropping everybody down
1: one uh, actually makes it pretty interesting. Yeah, and they're in an identical financial situation, and Maybe a, a less, slightly less fortuitous situation in terms of their compete window than the Cardinals. They have a payroll of 160 million. They definitely have space to absorb a guy like that, and they're a team that also, if they wanted to get into that same boat of, uh, you know, trying to get bets too, that could be a team that could potentially do both, or they could be a team that's a potential uh, option for some combo of Price and Benintendi. Uh, depending on the prospects that would be coming back for the Red Sox. But, yeah, I mean, I I think you're absolutely right. That rotation would feel and look so much better if you're talking about Otani, Price, Haney, Bundy, and then one of the young guys rather than three young guys. Man, an outfield of Trout, Adele, and Mookie would just be obscene. Oh, my God. Watching that would be crazy. (laughs) But the guy s- who, when we talk about them, that we, we think about coming back here is is Justin Upton. That's one of the names that's been talked about a lot.
0: Yeah. What do I you mean, think about that Upton? Would, I mean, that would 32. fit a role
1: for the Red Sox,
0: particularly if they're moving Mookie.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it definitely fit a role, and um, it's not like his salary is completely absurd. His, his AAV is 21, yeah um, is a free agent 2022 and he still can hit so yeah i don't hate that move at all i know a lot of people are kind of down on upton but i think if you you were to trade like price and benintendi uh, maybe and get out from that money and get upton and some prospects back or maybe upton and a guy like patrick sandoval wouldn't be the worst thing for the red sox to, to get out from under that no i don't think so and upton
0: had a down year last year um Typically, I mean, he hasn't been much of an average guy, but he again is a guy that just gets on base and has consistently had OBP's over three hundred and fifty uh, until last year when it dropped all the way down to three hundred and nine. Um, but he also was injured and didn't even play half his season, so that probably played into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he uh, he had a really rough year last year. Um, outside of those two American League teams, I don't really see any obvious choices. Uh, in the American League for David Price. Most of the other ones I see are in the National League. Yeah, I don't think so either. Teams Um, like the Brewers make sense, you know. Unless um, the Rangers really want to get wild. You know, the Rangers have a stacked rotation now, oddly. (laughs) I know. It's so weird. I don't know what they're doing because their lineup is absolute garbage. Um, But...
0: Hey, it's interesting i think their hope is maybe they just don't give up any runs and they can lock their way into one or
1: two <laughs> yeah seriously i mean now that that rotation out there has kluber minor lynn gibson lyles and people might be kind of laughing at gibson and lyles but lyles was electric for like the last two months of the year last year he really figured something out gibson was good in 2018 wasn't so good last year but I mean, that's a rotation with a lot of depth, and then we're not even thinking about um, Colby Allard and Brock Burke and some of these other options that they have on the 40-man that are very ready to come up and start if any of these guys gets injured. It's incredibly hard to have a pitching staff where everybody has an
0: ERA that's like under 4.2, and that's what the Rangers have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a, it's a really good rotation. It's just unfortunate that their lineup is slightly better than that of a good double team. Yeah. <laughs> got, I mean, they have like Joey Gallo, Shinsu Chu, Elvis Andrews, and a bunch of question marks.
0: Yeah. It's not good. I don't, yeah, there isn't really much. I mean, they're starting Kiner falefa at third, which I don't think is what you want to be doing.
1: No, that's not what you want. No. Not what you want. I like Nick Solak, though. He's pretty good. I do, too. Um, All right. So let's move on from Price, um, and we'll hit back on Price, um, you know, once we get some of these listener questions, and we might have already answered some of yours. So if we did, sorry for jumping the gun. 40-man um, roster sits at 39 right now. But the thing that I wanted to point out before we moved on here, Keaton, is just the amount of flexibility that's on this roster right now and all the unknowns with what's going to happen with trades. There are so many candidates on this 40-man that I could see just being dumped at any time. Um, Marco Hernandez is one I could see being dumped. Um, you know, Any of these fringe starters, Denny Reyes, Weber, uh, Christian Velasquez, Mike Schoeren, Kyle Hart, um, Joss Ostrich, Lakens, Pointer, Ibar, any of those guys. Like, It's not like this is a true locked-in 39 guys on this 40-minute.
0: No. Not at all. I can definitely see uh, with EVE this getting down to like 34 and it not really having an effect on anything.
1: And I think the reason why I wanted to point that out is because the Red Sox are well-equipped to take some depth back, some Major League depth back, and some guys that are in the high minors if they are to pull off one of these trades. theres It's very easy to envision that happening. Yeah, for sure. And
0: hopefully that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily just have to come from releasing guys and signing guys. Hopefully, Bloom's got a trade or two up his sleeve here before we get into February.
1: Yeah, um, last year he made... I think it was three trades in February with Tampa Bay, so... Yeah, there you go. You never know. All right, let's get to some listener questions here before we uh, start running out of time.
0: Yeah, um, oh, hey, before, should we talk about... Um, Jesus Christ. The Oh, uh, Noah Song.
1: Oh, yeah, Noah Song. Um, yeah, the military uh, has... Uh, Well, Trump signed in something to law, which basically uh, allows people to pursue their professional sports careers upon graduation from the service academy. Um, This does not mean that Noah Song is 100% in the clear because he was graduated before uh, this mandate was signed. Um, But it seems like it's just a matter of getting a waiver signed. And um, in all likelihood, he will be able to stick in the Red Sox system. So that's really good news.
0: Very good news. Yeah, was worth the chance in the draft because he's very good and has a real strong chance to be quick to the majors too. So I mean, we're not talking about like an arm that's three or four years out. I mean, we might be able to even see him end the next season.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that this does too is because they he won't have to miss two years of development time. They won't have to rush him quite the same way, so there's a higher likelihood of him being a starter than them having to rush him to the majors quickly as a reliever. Yeah. True. So, overall, it's just a it's a really positive thing, and you know if other teams had known this, he probably would have gone the second round. Yep. Pretty good. Alright, our first question comes from Zach. He says, what do you make of the team not even going after talent like Scooter or Roark or any of the others that were pointed out as lower tier options? Do you think the team is going to invest again after this luxury tax reset, or are they hoping to save uh, have a more budget conscious team? Kitten, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. um, (coughs) It's actually a really good question. I don't entirely know what to think of them not going after those options. I mean... I guess going after Peraza instead of Scooter probably due to price, but I think, I mean, Scooter wouldn't be all that much more expensive, and I think he would be a much better option. So I, I really hope that it's not they made that move strictly because of the cost, and they're really just absolutely pinching the hell out of their roster But, I mean, everything that we've been told about and reminded constantly about the CBT limits and resetting it, that might be why. And that's a really shitty answer, but that might be the answer.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a a piece that was uh, written by Alex Spear in the Boston Globe just like a few days ago from recording this that stated one of the reasons why and you know, talked about their ability to save between like seventy and ninety million dollars by resetting this year versus other years, and I don't have a Globe subscription, so I didn't read it. But um, I don't you know, understand it, it, that. I don't either, and I was hoping to read it to understand it. But apparently, there's some big financial gain from resetting this year. Um, and I think when it comes to guys like Scooter, first of all, we don't know that they're not going to be involved on him. Um, Rourke, I think. Uh, Bloom is is looking at more creative options than known quantities to get under the competitive balance tax this year, but I don't think that that's any indication of the team's future plans because if you look at how this team has spent under Henry, um, they've always spent, and I think they might spend smarter, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to be a team that's like not in on big money free agents. I just think that Bloom has has more to play with and that he is going to do a better job of keeping the ledger uh, in working order for these guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I buy that
1: too. Yeah. Um, Dave Lantham has our next question. He says, why wouldn't literally every team, including the Sox, try and match or exceed the Rangers package for Corey Kluber? Uh, Referencing the trade of Kluber that happened today um, by the Cleveland Indians where they sent – they they basically got a fourth outfielder in Delano de Shields, and a relief prospect uh, for a two-time Cy Young winner. Um, I mean the crazy thing about this, and I, I was looking at it beforehand, it's it just comes down to, like why weren't the Red Sox in on it? It's money. Um, the Red Sox are trying to get under, and they would have to have you know absorbed. The money that Kluber was making and I believe it was somewhere around 18 million dollars would have been the cap hit for, for Corey Kluber but why other teams weren't involved like the Angels and, and these other teams I have no idea
0: yeah neither do I. the only thing I can think of is that his medicals are a, it's like a lot worse than we think they are and it's more of a roll of the dice for the Rangers than a sure thing that we would think of when you're getting a guy like Kluber but at that point, I mean, if the medicals were that bad, why even make the trade?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's just, the I only thing I could think of too, Keaton, was the medicals just must be really scary. And this must be more of a roll of the dice than we think. But, yeah, if he was traded to the Red Sox, that would have been an additional $16.5 million against their tax. So that's why they weren't after him. But I agree. I mean, it was mind-blowing that the Angels didn't take a chance on this guy. Yeah. Yeah any team could have beat that package Yeah. apparently the reliever is really interesting but he's still a reliever he throws
0: really hard That's it. I mean it's a cutter that he throws really really hard but
1: still yeah uh, Tim Richer has our next question he says with the light return for Kluber is there any hope that a potential David Price trade will be anything more than a salary dump what are your thoughts on this Keaton
0: I think so, but I mean, I know you keep talking about either like pairing Benny with him or pairing Mookie with him to get something a bit better, and that this just might show that that would have to be the case. But I think that there are options that it it wouldn't necessarily just be a straight dump.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bloom has been pretty forthright with the fact that he would be able to get this done without attaching somebody with them. I think the only way that they attach a player of value with them is if they're literally eating none of the money. But I think that Bloom feels good enough about eating $11 million of the money that's owed to Price that there would be a market where he could trade Price kind of on his own for some value. And and I was looking at the comparison between Price and Kluber, um, and one of the things that I noticed with looking at these two guys is just... The fact that, you know, Price, when he was pitching last year, was still really effective, and Kluber, in his small sample size last year, pitched to a 5.8 ERA, um, and has pitched a ton over the last few years, so I just, I wonder if this is just the thing where teams are reacting more to the most recent health reports of Corey Kluber, kind of in the way that we speculated with with uh, Scooter Jeanette, and maybe... There's just a lot more fear surrounding Corey Kluber than there is surrounding the medicals of David Price.
0: Yeah, I think that would, that would have to be it. Which I guess bodes well for uh, if nothing happens, then I guess we can expect whatever the wrist issue is is resolved with Price, and he should be fine to go for the season, which, uh, you know, barring not a trade, is a positive for the Sox.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, Kluber had some monster inning totals, though, for, for years. He was like 235, 222, 215, 203, 215, and then fell off a cliff last year after getting hit with that line drive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's a horse. He's got some, uh, those those tires, got some pretty worn tread.
1: Yeah, for, for what it's worth, I mean, Keaton and I both do some stuff over at the Dynasty Guru as well, and a lot of uh, people in fantasy circles have been talking about um, Eno is warning of um, Corey Kluber falling off a cliff in terms of production uh, when his fastball velocity dips and it has been dipping for a few years now so maybe that's that's another thing that teams are looking at and that they recognize that he needs that more than a guy like Price needs that yeah, no, that makes sense all right, next question um, comes from, let's see, Zach again. And he says, why is MLB allowing teams to flop? Uh, Indians giving up Kluber for next to nothing. Secondarily, why couldn't Tox pull the trigger on him? Does this help her? Uh, we just answered that question, so we're going to move on. Um, thank you for the question, Zach. Um, Eamon Allen-Dusso says, uh, what does our rotation look like next year? Is Eovaldi officially a starter or... I think he's alluding to, does is there any potential for Yuki Eaton that he's a reliever?
0: No. I mean, at least to start the season, unless he has performance issues that push him to the pen, um, I would expect him to be a starter because I don't think they have any other options. He kind of has to be a starter,
1: right? Yeah, I don't see any way in which he is not a starter next year because that's better for his value Um, And I think they want to prove that he's healthy because we talked about how a guy like him could be a really valuable chip if he's pitching well come the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, for for sure. I mean, they only have five starters. Yeah. And And that's that's including him, so he, he has to be a starter to begin the season unless they make a secondary move.
1: Yeah, and if I'm if I'm guessing what the rotation looks like when this team starts next year, I think it's going to be Sale, Eddie, Eovaldi, Perez, and a guy that's not on the roster yet.
0: Do so you think Price is gone?
1: Yeah, I do.
0: Hmm. All right. Get to work, Bloom.
1: Uh, Mike Carlucci of OTM says, Would a Price trade look like the Kluber trade? And if so, should the Sox take that? Yeah. Um, I we just answered
0: that one too, didn't we?
1: Yeah, I don't think it would look like look like the Kluber trade. I think there's going to be more of a robust market. Yeah. Um, the only way I could see them taking uh, that type of a trade would be if a team was willing to eat all of the money, right? Like if they were just like, "Yep, we'll take we'll take this contract off your hands and free you from financial jail." And then they'd send, like, next to nothing. I don't know. I don't know that they would do that. I don't think they they would either.
0: I think they need to get something in return if they – I mean, that's that's the difficult part about them not having any depth is if they make a move, like trade Mookie, then they have a massive hole in the lineup and in the outfield to fill and they don't have anybody on the roster to fill it. Same thing with Price. They trade him, they have a massive hole in the rotation and they don't have any internal options to fill it. So they'd have to make a secondary move along with it, or they'd have to get something back in that trade. So I, that leads Why me couldn't? to believe that, if that's the case, then it wouldn't be a salary dump or look like the Kluber deal.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to look anything like those. Um, man, it's going to be weird. I don't. I wish Bloom could have brought along some of that depth with him when he came over from the race.
0: They've yeah, get sweet. Austin Meadows up here
1: allow, allow him to take 10 players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Knobloch has our next question. He says, thoughts on the MILB-MLB fiasco? The Sox have one of the most efficient farm systems in terms of location with Portland and Worcester, um, but it'll have a decent impact on New England if it happens. Um, he's, he, he's referring to the 42-team the contraction that's being talked about here. Um, The Little Spinners are one of those teams that would be contracted. I think this whole discussion that's going on with these two is just really a whole lot of posturing right now uh, between the two parties, minor league baseball and and major league baseball. It, It seems like they're not really serious about talking just yet. They're kind of just making overtures at each other. Yeah, the
0: system of minor league baseball is so robust and established that if they were really to walk away and just say teams affiliate yourself with a an international or um, independent league team or start your own, that it would be an absolute disaster. So I can't imagine that's actually going to be the case, and there's no way that teams would be able to um, use those means to align their their minors in anything that resembles what they have going on now. Like, I don't think a team on, like, this notice, so if everything falls through by, like, January, and they're basically told, you have two months to then establish your own minor league system, they're probably only going to look at, like, one team. And that would just be an absolute mess, because I don't think teams want to waste a year of development on these guys. So, I there's 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 no way that whatever is going to happen is going to get done but it's clear that menfreid is just a absolute asshole and uh it, i find it just hilarious that he was disappointed or his, he was most outraged that the contraction piece leaked and uh, he saw that as negotiating in public uh and then was all angry about doing it himself or not angry but was angrily doing it himself and took it public and threatened to walk away just on some some really tacky shit which is really disappointing but i don't think that teams are going to allow something not to get done and the contraction piece really sucks for a lot of communities 42 teams in these small towns uh there's a lot of That goes into these teams and and the towns that they're in. It's not just development of baseball players. Uh, It's entertainment for the folks that are there. For a lot of people, it's the only baseball they can afford to go to, and that's what makes minor league baseball so fun. And uh, I have really liked that teams have been getting away from just calling themselves the whatever like team that team name of the major league team. And they're actually kind of starting to go with all of these like local colloquial team names that kind of embrace themselves with the community even more. So it'd be a huge disappointment to see all that go away uh, or a solid chunk of that go away through a realignment. I know that we, I think we, we talked about it a couple of pods ago and you mapped out like the financial and um, like structural pieces that Manfred pointed out that they can cut down travel by doing a realignment. There's a lot of yeah. facilities that are really poor and need to be upgraded in order to really be efficient enough to develop players which is something that they struggle with which it would make more sense to invest in upgrading those facilities to be adequate than it would to just get rid of all these but i mean i guess if that's the they're gonna go then whatever but i mean there's probably going to be some concessions for the ml for the minor leagues and whatever these negotiations are but it's such an established system and it's so robust that any kind of replacement is just going to be shambles. So I imagine they're going to get something done to keep the majority of these teams where they're at and keep the structure that they have for the minors.
1: Yeah, I think hell would freeze over before minor league baseball uh, goes away. Um, Minor league baseball is awesome. It's super established, like you said, Keaton. Um, But... I think they also need to take a hard look at themselves and recognize that there are some real serious problems in the minor leagues right now. And MLB wants to address those, and not all of them are, you know, financial or just selfish on the part of MLB. There's some real stuff that needs to be done, and there are some really tremendously bad MLB ML- team owners, minor league team owners, um, that don't try. And you know, there's a lot of teams that fill their staffs with interns and, you know, don't actually make the park experience very good, so um, bottom line is I think these two sides need to actually negotiate and hammer something out that's going to be better for both sides and most of all, better for the fans Um, the fans definitely deserve to continue to have minor league baseball because you're right, I mean, it's the best it's one of the best things about baseball is the uniqueness of minor leagues, parks and logos and food and you know, everything it's, it's the best. So yeah, they and will figure it out for a lot of, I mean, as a native of Maine,
0: uh, I mean, I went to so many Seahawks games and a lot of it was because tickets were eight bucks and we would get to see future Red Sox. And for a lot of folks uh, having that opportunity is going to watch you know the future of the big league team. At something that's cost effective. I mean, we've talked about the price to take like a family of four to the Red Sox is like oh, six hundred bucks, insane. something absurd like that. Or it's crazy. you could spend, I mean, just a mere fraction on that going to one of the minor league games, and you're still getting to see players affiliated with the Red Sox who will eventually play there, um, which is just as exciting. And I mean, every now I mean, and then, I mean, the biscuit. major league players are there on rehab. Like there was a couple games where David Ortiz was in Portland when he was rehabbing one time. And it was a huge deal. Like that stuff is great.
1: Yeah, it's the best. It's so good for kids, and the the Sea Dogs have something between every single inning for the kids, and Lowell does a great job of that too. I mean, places are the best, so they need to continue that, and I'm I'm sure that they will. Um, it's just gonna they got work to do. They got to hammer it out. Um, Jackson Posey, who asked us uh, an also ridiculous question last week, I think. Um, says Who would best survive in a nuclear fallout situation between um, Ben, I think he's talking about Ben Sherrington, Dombo, uh, Bloom, or us?
0: Um, I would be a disaster in a nuclear fallout situation, if I'm being completely honest. Like, I'd like to think I'd know what to do and survive, but I would be an absolute mess. It wouldn't be fun. I would be one of the first to die.
1: Huh. Um, well let me just say that you know these three guys have a lot of financial leg up on both of us so that's gonna (laughs) that's gonna matter quite a bit but i think uh i i don't hate my chances that much i've actually been told at parties before because i used to have a job where i was a a 18th century blacksmith farmer and a distiller that i had a lot of skills that would be pretty useful in uh, this type of a situation so i like to think that i'd be able to Take my uh, Wild Edibles book and my ferro rod and uh, figure out how to live for a while. So, And I also have a broadsword at my house that's, you know, hardened steel. So I, I have some things that I think could help me. My only skill is stacking
0: wood, which I did constantly because we heated our house with a wood stove. So it was like a year-round deal. So if you need someone to stack wood, I'm a pro. All
1: right, man. I think uh, we could... Partner up and live for a bit. Nice. I think we'd definitely live longer than Dombo
0: <laughs> Yeah, do you think so? Yeah. I See, think... I feel like I, I was. I was thinking about this. I think you're right because I think Dombo would be like the most aggressive. Yeah. Uh, ben would be the one to just like hide in the corner and wait everybody else out. And I feel like Bloom would be the one that's kind of like active, but like just trying to make sure folks are all right. Yeah, he might have too be much the leader of a heart to survive. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think you're right. Dombo would get killed like trying to siphon gas or something. <laughs> and Ben would just die of starvation. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to Christian Vasquez fan club. He says, what are the chances Jackie goes to Texas now that they've lost to Shields? I thought this was super interesting because I was talking about this with uh, some guys on our baseball chat. Um, I think there's a very real chance that Jackie Bradley ends up in Texas. Hmm. That is interesting, and that would allow like
0: Gallo or Santana to go back to third. Yeah, that actually kind of rounds them out a bit. That's that's uh that's not so far fetched.
1: Yeah, that seems and, rather uh, smart. They can take on the salary, and the Red Sox definitely need that relief. Um, the uh, Rangers salary right now sits at. One hundred and thirty-eight thousand heading into next year, so they've got tons of room, and they're still looking to add. And you know, he'd be a great addition to that team. He would be. Um, All right, Gordon Comstock asks us a really interesting question. He says, um, "If you somehow had prior knowledge that the back half of Mookie Betts' next contract was going to be injury-riddled disaster, and but the first half would be all six to nine more seasons." What's the uppermost amount in dollars over 10 years that would still make it worth it for you uh, to, to do this contract? So five say, MVP five amazing caliber years. seasons. And then and like then let's assume Kobe's. that the last five are like Jacoby Ellsbury-esque. Like he's basically not there. Well, I mean, that's like the worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's all right. Let's, let's, let's see the difference. <laughs> let's let's see he's let's say he's a one win player for the last five. Um,
0: gee, I'm still coming to like three fifty plus. Oh, I mean particularly wow. with the shape that the team is in now. If you get five years of MVP Mookie, I mean there's a solid chance you can get I mean at least one World Series out of that. But I mean, you're that really killed by it. the
1: back end of that contract.
0: Yeah, but I mean all these other guys are gonna be gone too, so who cares? You're not gonna be paying price, you're not gonna be paying sale, you're not gonna be paying Evaldi. So it's a much it's much less of a hit to be paying him a whole bunch of money and have the salary relief of everybody else that won't be there, uh, and have him for five really good seasons making runs at World Series and probably getting one.
1: So you'd still go through fifty? Yeah, I, mean, I would. I'd go like 270 Jesus Yeah If I knew I was getting nothing Almost nothing Like basically replacement level uh, I'm not about that
0: But 5 MVP seasons You don't think you could get worth out of that? (sighs) Yeah you're probably
1: right I don't know I'll push it up to 300 But no more than that Well Then he's still probably in Atlanta That's fine Jake has our next question. He says, how many non-minor trades will Bloom make between now and spring training? Well, like I
0: hope three. But, yeah, it feels like it, there just might be one one boomer. Uh, you think the one boomer being Price? Yeah. Or like that- a Price-Mookie combo like you were talking about like that, that would really fit with St. Louis.
1: I think Jackie and Price are gone. I don't think Mookie gets moved. I hope that he doesn't, but I said that from the
0: beginning, so I'll just try and okay. fade out all the other noise, and hope that that comes true.
1: Um, the last question of the night comes from a person whose name was all in uh, Chinese characters, so I tried to look it up, and what I came up with it was Liao Luquan, so maybe that's correct, but... Um, trading price all but ensures no World Series and you're still above the tax line, all while wasting Mookie's final year. I think you either keep both in contend or trade both in reset. And he asks us to opine on this. So, Keaton, opine on this. So, I think the last thing that I saw
0: was that they were plus 28. So, I think trading price would get them just barely under it. If they get rid of all of Price's money. Right. But I'm not entirely sure if that included Peraza or not. If that's the case, then that would, I guess, be a wash. That would be right at the level. But, um, I mean, this is exactly what we've been saying. And, I mean, Matt and I went pretty in-depth on it in the last one. That trading price essentially signals that they're not competing. So, at that point, why would you keep Mookie?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's... I agree. It's going to be really hard to replace that level of pitching, um, and I guess the only reason why you'd keep Mookie is if you thought that not keeping him would preclude you from having an opportunity to sign him. Um, that would be really the only the only reason why. Um, but I think you could conceivably uh, trade away JBJ and Price. And get some lower level guys reset and still keep Mookie bets and be under. So, um, I don't necessarily think you'd be a contender at that point. But stranger things have happened. Yeah, I think you'd be you'd still challenge for the playoffs. I think without Price and JBJ, if he was able, if Bloom was able to make effective enough discounted replacements, and I yep. don't think that that's beyond his capabilities.
0: I don't think it is either, but I it, I think it's tough to, in the position that we're in, picture it until it happens, and then kind of yeah. look at what they have at that point and make that determination, because uh, the speculation, I mean, looking at it now, I see Price gone, whatever the replacement is, not going to be as good, and with right. the lack of depth and injury concerns that the pitching rotation has, I would imagine if one of the starters misses a month plus, then that would doom the rest of the season, because of not having Price there, um, to kind of pull up some of the weight, but I mean, like you said, they could find an effective enough, cheaper option. I just can't think of what one would be out there. It seems like that would be one of those like, oh wow, I'm surprised he was on the block kind of deals. Like, right? Um, I don't know, stab in the dark like Brandon Woodruff. If somehow they landed him, I would feel okay about that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 gonna be tough, but yeah, I, I think you're. You're probably right that if they're going to trade price, they should ditch as many of these guys on one-year contracts as they possibly can. Yep. Alright, well that's the show. We've gone long today, so we gotta get the heck out of here. Um, we hope you did enjoy the show. If you did, go on, rate and review us, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at Spoken Keats, you can follow me at devjake, uh, you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster, and we will be with you uh bi-weekly or as uh, things break like we were today for a you know second podcast in a row. So thank you for, for listening and we appreciate it.